and how we treat one another should look very different from the way the world treats each other. We might feel strongly that that other person is wrong, and maybe they are. Or what they said or what they did was hurtful or offensive. Nobody's denying that. We are called to a higher expectation. You know that log and speck scripture? <laughs> Pull the log out of your own eye so that you might be able to remove the speck from your brother's eye. That comes in the same sequence as the Beatitudes that we just read in the Gospel. It's only a few red-lettered paragraphs later if you look at it in the Scriptures. Jesus was talking about what it looks like to be a true follower of the Lord and what it looks like to live a life filled with grace given by the Spirit that we would love one another with that sacrificial love with which he loved us. I was, uh, I was in um, a store this past week over in Claremont, and uh, I had a significant amount of time to expend there. I almost left and went with my family somewhere else while we were waiting for something to happen at this one store. And um, this guy, in the course of conversation, found out that I was a pastor. And so, you know how the conversation goes. I used to go to church. I grew up in this little church over, and he said where it was. I won't say it. And he says, my mom's a Bible thumper. <laughs> Literally his words, right? My mom is a Bible thumper. But I don't go to church anymore. And in the course of conversation, he said that the difference between what he saw and what was done led him to believe that all Christians are hypocrites. And he knew what they said, and he knew what they did, and it didn't line up. And he ended up telling me that he's just going to make his own way. That um, a way that makes sense to him, and that he didn't need the church or any of the people in it. And it was almost like he was wanting, to me, wanting me to affirm his choice as a man of God, hopefully. Um, <laughs> oftentimes people will come to me when they find out I'm a Christian and try to tell me their way and hope that I'll just nod along. We can't. Right? When the Lord brings someone into our life like that, it's not a coincidence. It's because you carry the light of Christ right after the Beatitudes, right after that section of Scripture in the Gospel of Matthew. The very next thing Jesus says is, you are the salt of the earth. We can't let go of that. We can't give it a pass when the Lord puts somebody right in front of us like that. Scripture says there is a way that seems right to a man the end is death. When someone tries to conglomerate their own religion, put together and get someone's blessing on it, we need to point folks back to Scripture. Say, yes, I hear what you're saying. Did you know that God actually has a plan? 
and here's his plan, and here's his way. And then it's up to them whether they accept it or reject it. And you know, you don't have to do the convincing. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. But you love them by being obedient enough to God to stick your neck out there and speak what you know to be the truth. Then this week, there was another guy. I went to school with him, and um, he was a couple years behind me, and on social media, he leveled a serious indictment against the church. And you can tell that it's coming from a place of pain. You can tell he's been hurt by spending time in the church. He's actually a missionary kid, an MK. <laughs> right? His family has been in Christian ministry their whole lives. And as a result, he's seen the ins and outs of ministry. He's seen the good, the bad, and yeah, the ugly that occurs. And um, I won't go into the details of everything that he said. If you want to ask me about it later, that's fine. Um, but he sees a disconnect between the way that we talk and the way that we walk. Between the way that we treat one another and the peaceful platitudes that we speak of in Scripture. I don't really know if he's still connected with his faith or if he's completely walked away. Now, we know the church isn't perfect, right? Uh, in fact, if you're here, it's likely because you know you're not perfect. <laughs> and you're drawn to God because of his great love and his holiness. And that through Christ, one day we will be made perfect, acceptable, and complete in him. And so what happens when you get a bunch of imperfect people trying to do life together? Guess what? <laughs> right? Conflict arises. Words will be said. Maybe even in a flash of anger. Feelings will be hurt. Actions will cause pain. And now what? What happens next is what differentiates us from the world. What happens next could affect the story of that guy in Claremont in the shop that I talked to that saw the disconnect between words and actions. What evidences us as Christians is what brings us back to that guiding question. How will an unbelieving world know anything of the Lord? When people know that we're a Christian, they are looking for, and they are expecting something different. Oftentimes they're looking to see if we act or speak or think the same as they do in order to validate and comfort themselves in their current way of thinking, in their current way of life. But we know when we, we uh, have an interaction with the Holy God, we remember that scripture from Mark chapter 1, the kingdom of God has drawn near, repent, and believe the gospel. You carry that with you everywhere you go. People expect some challenge. They don't expect us to gloss over something. They expect some thoughtfulness, some godly grace in their interaction and conversation with us. I want to invite us, if you have your Bible, turn over to Matthew chapter 5. This is another account of the Beatitudes.
Matthew chapter 5, um, and you can, you can read it while I'm talking, starting at verse 3, all ye blessed are yous, right? And then after, at verse 13, it says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. I mean, we're kind of doing that now with all the ice from yesterday. <laughs> you are the salt of the earth. The world will taste Jesus through you. I'm going to be thumping the Bible. <laughs> the world will taste Jesus through you. What is salt, right? It was used as currency for exchange. In history, now you can buy a little thing of salt for 89 cents, or maybe it's a buck 40 with inflation now. I don't know, but it's cheap. Doesn't cost much for us to buy it, but boy, if you have some stew without any salt in it, what's the first thing you reach for? Ooh, I need some salt, right? So salt is a preservative. It keeps things from getting rotten. Look at our culture. It's rotten. It's falling apart. Where's the salt? Where are the Christians to help preserve? Salt's also a taste enhancer, right? Shake that in the stew. It improves the way we enjoy food. It can really bring out true flavor in many ways. The world tastes Jesus and tastes his truth. Through us. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Through us. Alright, let's turn over to 2 Corinthians. If you would. That's to the right of Matthew. <laughs> if I can find it in my Bible here. Let's see. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And starting at the 14th verse. <clears throat> but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Through us spreads the fragrance of knowing him. What do you smell like? Aromas are powerful. How many of you remember the, uh, the Folgers coffee commercials from like maybe the late 90s, early 2000s? You can play the theme song if you want. It's stuck in my head. <laughs> it was that powerful of a thing, but yeah, you could just see it. They get up in the morning, the sun is streaming through the window, and they crack open that seal on top of the can and goes and you know that that aroma is just coming out right can you smell the coffee downstairs for fellowship later yeah right aromas are really powerful you know one of the ones that sticks with me is uh, growing up uh, smelling the communion wine every Sunday when when that would be poured as the pastor was preparing the Lord's Supper up at the communion table 
It would take a few seconds for the aroma to get to me wherever I was in the pew. But it was an aroma that I associated with communion, the presence and power of God, and my heart coming before Him. So I want to ask, what's the most comforting smell you know of? What's the one that you can remember that's the most comforting? <clears throat> smell of home, dinner cooking. Mm -hmm. Right now, when I pull in the driveway, sometimes I can smell if Karis has been baking. And I'm hoping there's something left. <laughs> <laughs> Aromas bring back memories that we haven't thought of in years. And you know, long after the cranberry muffins that Karis bakes have been consumed, the aroma lingers in the house. And you know something good passed through there. So we carry an aroma everywhere we go. May it be the aroma of Christ. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, there's a little bit more talk about smell. <laughs> a little more talk about aroma. It's chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. What is that aroma of Christ? That fragrance that we carry with us. Like, what does Jesus smell like? Okay? <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Imitate God. There's a tall order. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. There's a lot there. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The aroma of Christ to God is sacrifice. Christ so loved us that he gave himself up. Why did Jesus do that? Because it was the will of the Father for him to do that. Loving us to the degree that he sacrificed himself was his obedience to the Father. And that obedience led him to sacrifice. To love is to obey, and to obey is sacrifice. I don't quote the Pope very often from the pulpit, but I'm going to today. <laughs> okay. Pope John Paul II speaking to a group of teens in March of 2000 about the difference between Christianity and modern culture. And here's what he said. Modern culture says, blessed are the proud. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Culture says, blessed are the pitiless. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful. Culture says, blessed are the devious. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. Culture says, blessed are those who fight. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Culture says, blessed are the prosecutors. And Jesus said, blessed are the persecuted. Let's return one last time to that guiding question. How will an unbelieving world know anything of the Lord? It's through us. Through the way we are different. Through the example we set in relationships with one another. 
through how we handle ourselves after a hurt or an offense has occurred. Through that salty taste that we bring to a conversation, through that aroma that we carry with us that lingers in the hearts of those who interact with us long after the conversation has ended. The world is hungry for God. They don't even know it until they have a taste or catch a whiff. <clears throat> so may we sacrificially love one another that we may be sure to carry the aroma of Christ with us and always be ready to help the world have a taste. Father, thank you for leading us, for guiding us, for teaching us, for forgiving us and bearing with us when we fail. <clears throat> Lord, forgive us for responding in anger or impatience. Thank you for not giving up on us, but for teaching us, leading us by your Spirit. Lord, may we grow into that place where the taste that we carry is the salt of your word, and the aroma is the fragrance of Christ. And Lord, where we fail, may we extend forgiveness and sacrificial love towards one another. Help us to love each other and you more with each passing day. In Jesus' name, amen.